I'm going to read to you from Ephesians and chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, from the Passion Translation. This is a very famous prayer of Paul, one that we often use to uh, finish the service with a blessing as it goes out. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture. Listen to this. Paul prays, I pray that he, that is God, would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is His love, how enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love, beyond measurement, that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. I could kind of stop there, couldn't I? Paul's preached for me. You will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences. Say every Holy One. Every Holy One. Say experiences. Experiences. You will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences. And then it goes on to explain what that experience is supposed to be. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ. And then it finishes with, This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. What is the measure of what you can encounter as a believer in Jesus Christ? What is the limit of what you can experience as a son or a daughter of the living God? How far-reaching is the vastness of God's blessing over your life? When it comes to becoming the Christian that God has always called you to be. When it it comes to you being produced into this Christ-like person. Able to relate to the Father as Jesus related to the Father. Able to be like Jesus in character and conduct. Able to do the things that Jesus could do. Where is the limit set for you as a believer in Jesus Christ? It's somehow got to come into those words of all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. Everything that is in heaven. Everything that the Father has to give, He is willing to give to you. Every single one of you. Everyone that God classes as a holy one. Everyone that God has washed clean and set apart. Everyone that has received what Jesus died for, which was to make a way for you to know the Father and to be given this status as sonship. To be allowed to be a member of God's family, to be an heir 
of all the fullness of heaven. That's every single one of us. And I think sometimes we hear these promises of God and then we filter it through our experience. We filter it through where we've come from and we kind of maybe just take a little bit of it and think, well, maybe I could just grow in one area or another. Maybe I could become a little bit more Christ-like in one area or another. And we take these promises and we enjoy them, but there's something within us that says, hmm, there's a bit of a disconnect between what I'm reading in the Bible and what my life is actually like. But you know what? When you take a promise of God and you just enjoy it, but you don't experience it, it becomes nothing more than a fridge magnet. Mm. We, we've been told, I believe, by God this year, that we can walk in supernatural love and power and self-discipline. If we do not experience the outpouring of supernatural power and love and self-discipline, then that word is nothing more than a fridge magnet. Yeah. It's a nice idea. Yeah. It's something that we read for a moment and maybe we get a little bit encouraged by, but then we go about our daily life. Like one of those little motivational words you see pop up on your Facebook wall. God's word has got to be more than that, right? Verse 17, in what I just read, says, Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. By constantly using your faith. That's something for us to do, isn't it? There's, there's our part that we need to embrace there. We have to practice our faith. Now, I want to let you into a little secret. When we go on holiday, um, if the place we're staying is on its own private little lane, we have a bit of a tradition. Um, close your ears, police people over there. Um, <laughs> we sometimes let our children drive the car. Um, <laughs> only if it's on a private lane, private property, you know, not on, not on the main highways. <laughs> and it, it all, they only sit on my lap and do the steering. You know, and uh, Esther's getting quite good at it now, so I don't have to grab the steering wheel quite so much. But um, they love it, and they, they work out whose turn it is on what day, that when we're heading back to our holiday cottage or wherever it is, who gets to drive today? And um, so they, they climb in, normally with muddy shoes, sit on my lap, uh, and they're driving, it's their turn. And uh, it's only about like five miles an hour, and I've always got complete control, but for them it's like, <laughs> I'm driving the car. <laughs> And Serafina is a bit of a shocker because she's constantly pushing my hands away. She's like, I can do it, Dad. I can do it, Dad. I'm like, yeah, we pay for this car. I'm going to keep my hands nearby. But she believes that she can drive the car. Uh, there's no question in her. She just believes she can do it. Anything she tries, in fact, whether it's playing uh, an instrument or anything, she, she picks up a guitar, she thinks she's going to sound like Jimi Hendrix. She, it's just how she's wired, and it's how a lot of children are wired. They just feel like they can do anything, and I love that. But sometimes we can be a bit like that with the promises of God, I think. Sometimes God says to us, I'm going to give you this opportunity. I, I want to tell you that you can come with me and you can do something quite exciting. You can do something that I say that you can do. And we are sometimes like a five-year-old kid driving a car and we can so easily 
just grab hold of it, whatever it is, and think, I can do it. I can do it. And, and we just have a go. And I think God loves our eagerness. But he also knows it's going to take time. Just like with my daughter's driving, God knows there is great potential in us all. And we will be able to do what he invites us to do, but there's a process involved. It's not always instant. I have every faith that all my daughters will one day will be able to drive without thinking too much about it. They'll be able to do it like second nature, I believe. I don't know if any of you have had that experience, I bet you have, where you drive home from work and your brain is ticking over the things of the day and you're thinking about those meetings that you've just been in and you're thinking about your boss's leadership style and you're thinking about that comment that somebody made at, uh, at coffee time you're thinking, what did that mean? Well, that sounded a bit loaded. Have they got an agenda? And, uh, and uh, that's something that went really well today and you're thinking about a project that's coming up and how you're going to tackle it and before you know it, you're on your driveway. Yeah. And you cannot remember a single bit of the drive home. Have you, have you had that experience? Yes. <laughs> because we have learned to drive well, so much of our driving skill happens at a subconscious level. We can operate with our cars with kind of 90% unconscious ability. You're not constantly thinking mirror, signal, maneuver, uh, clutch, <laughs> all the rest of it, are you? Now, you're actually just doing it. You can just drive. And I believe that that's how God wants us to be with some of his spiritual gifts. He wants us to get to that point where it's second nature. Yeah. Where operating in the power of the Holy Spirit is as easy and as natural as breathing. Yes. But there's a process we need to embrace. We have to start somewhere. Do you remember your first driving lesson? <laughs> Mirror, signal, maneuver. Uh, what you do with your right foot. Okay, that's for going faster and going slower. Okay, blind spot. Got to check my blind spot. Oh, my driving instructor, is, is he thinking I'm doing well? I don't know. I, he seems to be just kind of looking all around him. Is he going to steer or am I? Okay, steering. Okay, we can do that. Throw in a clutch and a gear stick and it very quickly becomes overwhelming, doesn't it? Yeah. It takes all of your concentration just to navigate around that first corner and stop the car and pull the handbrake. And then after a while, you get better and better. What moves us from novice to expert. Practice. Practice, practice, practice. It's the same with learning an instrument, it's the same with learning a sport, it's the same with anything. Practice. Learning to do what we want to do, or in this case, what God says we can do. When it comes to Christian formation, practice is not just practical, it can also be deeply spiritual. The first generation of Christians after Pentecost were a deeply practical bunch. They used to practice what they saw Jesus doing. Anyone know what they were called before they were called Christians? Followers of the way, or people of the way. People identified followers of Jesus as people who had a way. They lived by a certain lifestyle. They lived by a certain set of practices and principles. They tried to copy what they saw Jesus doing and live by his teaching. And they became easily marked out in society because they had a different routine and a different way of being. It was a shorthand way of saying, these are people who live like Jesus. 
They literally looked at the things that Jesus habitually practiced and they did the same. They discovered that by intentionally doing the things that he did in order to be like him, they could encounter the Holy Spirit in a way that was powerfully transformative. So let's just run with that for a moment. If we took anything that Jesus tended to do and practiced it as an intentional spiritual discipline, as a devotional practice to seek intimacy with Christ, to seek to be like him and to do the things that he did. So what were some of the things that Jesus liked to do? Has anyone got any ideas? Right. He's a man of prayer. Yeah. Hmm? Teaching. Yeah, he was a teacher, frequently teaching. Healing. Yeah, he loved to stretch out and heal. Perform miracles. Yeah. Eating with people. Eating with people. Being with people. Being with people. Yeah, definitely. Gathering disciples around him. Gathering disciples around him. Being on his own. Being on his own. So it sounds kind of like a conflict, doesn't it? Being with people, being on his own. But yeah, both true. Anyone else? Being on his own with God. Being on his own with God. Feeding people. Feeding people. Climbing mountains. Climbing mountains. A mountaineer. Anyone up for that? Loving. Pardon? Loving. Loving people. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Resisting the devil. Resisting the devil. Come on. Love it. I, I need to add to my list. I've had a bit, bit of uh, time to think about this. Here's my list. There's the obvious ones, like he was a man of prayer. He knew his Bible. He clearly loved reading his Bible, or his Old Testament in those days. He observed the Sabbath. That, was, that comes up a lot in the Gospels. But then there were other things that he practiced. Eating with people, especially broken people. Disappearing on his own, we've said that. Solitude. Serving the poor, walking from A to B, gathering with the crowds of seekers, singing, breaking bread, teaching, celebrating, living simply in trust of God's goodness, grieving, heart sharing with close friends, secrecy, that means doing amazing things without posting it on social media. Yeah. <laughs> um, Silence and gratitude as well, I've got there. So you can practice any of the things you've just mentioned, or any of the things I've just mentioned, uh, as a way to know Jesus better and to grow in grace. That was basically what the early church did. They intentionally practiced the way of Jesus as a way of growing in grace. So take ser serving the poor, for instance. I remember there was a time in my life where this kind of awoke a, a whole new relationship with God in me. I've talked to you a number of times about when I was a cap centre manager for Lewisham in London and I was working with Christians Against Poverty. And for me that was an extraordinary time where I had to draw near to Jesus and I learned so much about how Jesus feels and thinks and is involved in the community, especially amongst broken people. So, this was a, a practical thing I could do to go on a spiritual journey. Every time I visited someone in the community, uh, armed only with a debt recovery program and the gospel, I was faced with such a need 
that I had to reach to Jesus on a moment-to-moment basis to say, God, what do you want to do in this per- person's life? I'm here with a debt program, but the, the, the issues are so much wider than that. The needs are so much greater than that. And all of a sudden, you feel just how little you have in your hands to be able to give. And yet, there is a, an understanding that God wants to meet every one of those needs somehow by his kingdom provision. And so it throws you back on God, and you find yourself asking for help all the time. And I learned, so I learned the gospel is so much wider than just spiritual salvation, and that God cares about the whole person, that there was nothing that he was not willing to look at. And when whatever came up in those sessions, I, I learned that I could say, let's bring that one to God. And that became like my mantra throughout that year. Okay, let's bring that one to God. And I learned so much about myself too. I learned that I absolutely love working with dysfunctional people. That's why I took this job. (laughs) (laughs) I love working with people who are imperfect and are not afraid to be honest about it. That's what I love. (laughs) Partly because I can see myself in broken people. And you can share life deeply when we can be honest about our imperfections as well as the good stuff that God's going on, God's doing. And often I would see Jesus in people in the most unexpected places. When I was working with some of the people... I was just amazed at just the amount of love and sacrifice and courage that there were in certain people. Single mums and single dads that were selling out for their kids, doing without almost everything that their kids may have what they need and that their kids may thrive. Single people living on their own, having moved from one area of the country to another, living in total and utter isolation and yet still finding things to be joyful about. There were times where people practiced hospitality towards me, knowing that there was absolutely nothing in their cupboards. They would still take the little bit they had and they would put it before me because they were so pleased that I was coming. It was moments like that that I suddenly learned that Jesus can be found in the most unlikely places. And it's not just in everybody that seems to have it all together. Actually, Christ can be seen in the most broken of circumstances. It was humbling. But I remember at the beginning, I had to work so hard. This was like a driving lesson type experience. Because part of the CAP process is, the the first session, you have to collect all their information. I'm not particularly a paperworky type person anyway. I don't particularly like paperwork. I've always been a bit allergic to form filling. Um, So it was a bit ironic that God made me a CAP centre manager because there's a lot of that that goes on. And I remember we'd had intense four days training on how to fill out this jolly form. At that point, it was like a four-page form with tiny little detailed boxes that you had to fill in. And I remember how nervous I was that I was going to get it wrong on my first visit, that I wouldn't be able to collect all their details. And Kat would say, well, what's this? How can we work with this person? You haven't got half the information. And so that was all I was focused on in my first few visits. It was like, I've got to get the fat phone right. I've got to get the fat phone right. It was like mirror signal maneuver. And it was all consuming. But after I'd done a few of these and I've worked out that I can do it, if I systematically work through it and if I'm, if I'm methodical, soon I was able to focus much more on the initial chit-chat a 
finding out how this person was, what's going on in your life, what's, and all sorts of things would start tumbling out. And I'd also have time at the end to really listen to what was just below the surface and then take them and introduce them to this God who is an ocean of love and grace and cares about that thing they've just told me about. And I would have the opportunity to prophesy. Why? Because I was able to do the, the, the fact find largely on autopilot and my consciousness was much more on what is the Holy Spirit doing in this family right now and how can I partner with God to minister? It was a process. But in the process I grew. I changed. I learned to walk closer with God. I understood Jesus better and I saw his miracles happen in people's lives. It was like a spiritual discipline. So let's just pause for a moment. So I want to gather up some of these strands of what I'm saying today. God's promises and purposes are wonderful. God has called you to be a people of power, love and self-discipline. To be fully formed by his promises, we need to go through a process that involves practice. The practices or spiritual disciplines that help you to grow in the way that God has promised are laid down by Jesus himself. Are you with me? Are you following my chain of thought here? So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at four of Jesus' habits. Four things that keep reoccurring in the Gospels and that are central to Jesus' lifestyle. We're going to look at community, his practice of community, his practice of solitude, his practice of service, and his practice of Sabbath. Those are two, if you look at them, community and solitude, being with people, being without people. Service, hard work, Sabbath, rest. They're kind of two sides of the same coin, if you like. <clears throat> and yet when, when practiced spiritually with the intention of getting to know Christ and to grow in spiritual strength, life and character, they can be incredibly powerful. They're also very countercultural in an awesome Jesus-y kind of way. So we're calling this series Practicing the Way. Practicing the Way. How we can practice the way of God in order to step more fully into these promises that God's given us. So for the next few minutes, I want to attempt the ridiculous task of inspiring you to commit to the practice of community. Okay, this is, there isn't another session on community, this is it. So in the next five minutes, I'm going to wrap up this preach by convincing you that community is incredibly important to your spiritual development. So, so many of Jesus' most profound moments happen as Jesus is sharing at a table or simply spending time with friends. Think about the meals, like at Levi's house, with the tax collectors. The meal at Zacchaeus' house. The meal at Simon the Pharisee's house when the woman comes in and breaks her alabaster jar and anoints his feet. The meal in the upper room. There's a lot of meals involved. The meal in the upper room when Jesus pours himself out and washes the disciples' feet and then invites them to partake in his life and death and suffering. Walking together, battling storms together, serving the community together, doing miracles together, all as a group of friends. Sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Mm. I believe so. 
practicing community was central to Jesus and provided the perfect place for the spiritual formation of the disciples. The conversations they would have as they walked along the road would uncover certain things that were going on in their hearts and lives and minds. And then that formed the content of the conversation around the table in the evening. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, what were you talking about on the road so often? And then he would teach into that and they would teach one another. They would learn from one another. So not surprisingly, this first generation of the church jumped on this idea of community. Community was a huge part of that first generation church. After Pentecost, it said that they were all of one heart and one mind. They even pulled their resources. They shared their finances. So nobody had anything that belonged just to them. They held everything in common. That's quite high-level community, I think. Is anyone up for that? We'll have just one bank account for everyone. That would be amazing. <laughs> if you make time to regularly practice community with other passionate <coughs> believers, you will grow faster. You will grow faster in the things of God. Your faith will grow stronger. You will walk closer with Jesus and you will experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit. Full stop. That is a true statement. It's the only way to develop as a person that can love people well. This, this is not rocket science. You can't stay on your own and learn how to love people. You have to share your life with people and work through those ups and downs. Work through the chinks in their character and in your own. You can only do that in community. There are some who say that you can live an authentic Christian life without Christian community. And I'm not so sure. I don't think that... Personally, I think that you can't land there theologically if you're a Bible-believing Christian, but at the very least, you, you miss out on this God-given opportunity to grow in grace and love and kindness and honesty and joy and commitment and forgiveness and all kinds of ministry gifts. We could go on and on and on. Hebrews 10 Verse 24 says, don't give up meeting together, as some do, but encourage one another. It says, think about how you can stir one another up to love and to do great works. What a great description of why we come together in fellowship. So I believe if you could measure your life, if you could jump forward 10 years, having lived with no Christian community whatsoever, and then you could do the same leap, but you've had a regular, weekly meeting with your mission community and coming along on Sunday mornings. I guarantee you that the person that you would be in 10 years' time would be very, very different if you took one, that route or that route, Amen. one way or the other. Amen. Yeah. You really would. Your ability to live like Jesus, your ability to walk as the person that God created you to be would be significantly different just by committing to regular community. Do you believe it? Yes. It's so true. And you feel it when you've been out of community for a while. Yeah. A couple of hours on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and a couple of hours on Sunday morning. It's worth it. It really does set you up to succeed. Yeah. This year, let's practice community intentionally with the specific intention of seeing God's power 
and love and self-discipline at work. Amen? We're going to do some serious growing. I want to finish with some prayer ministry. But just by way of preparing for this, I want to come back to the first words that I read from Ephesians 3. Our prayer is Paul's prayer that God would unveil within all of you the unlimited riches of his glory and favour. Do you know that God likes you? Do you know that God's favour is over you right now? regardless of what your week has been like. I pray that God would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favour until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. (coughs) Then by constantly using your faith, by practising your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. This morning you have an opportunity to be empowered to discover what every holy one must experience. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. The Lord wants to give each one of us endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding, extravagant love that pours into you. Because his heart for you is that you would be filled to overflowing with the fullness 